Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Um, Kristen, I like to donate things to Goodwill. Not necessarily to help people, although I'm glad that's a part of it. But mainly because I have a tendency to love shopping. Women, women be shopping. Caroline be shopping. Caroline be shopping. And I end up buying things that are maybe a little too trendy for me, something that maybe doesn't fit right and I think it'll fit better later inexplicably. And so I end up keeping a bag in my closet at all times that I can just throw stuff into for goodwill. And especially when I move, I end up taking like sacks of stuff over there. And probably while you're clearing out closet space, mm-hmm. you know, and it's more of like an organizational thing at first. I'm sure there's a moment when you drop those clothes off, you're like patting yourself on the back a little yeah. bit being like, "Hey, off to a better off to a better place. Somebody's going to enjoy this Ann Taylor skirt and well, wear it to their job." Spoiler alert, everybody. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be patting ourselves on the back. So much. Right. Because you might be surprised about what happens to all of those clothes in particular. We're focusing on clothing donations that you might drop off at your local thrift store. And what first caught our attention was a June 19th article on Slate, which was an excerpt from Elizabeth Klein's book, Overdressed, the Shockingly High Cost of cheap fashion. And this excerpt was focusing on uh, this enormous Salvation Army in Brooklyn that processes five tons of clothing every day and a ton more during the holidays because typically the holidays are when clothing donations will spike. Right. And in this Salvation Army, they choose 11,200 garments per day to divvy up among the eight thrift stores they serve. And then if things sit on the rack too long once they're in the stores, they are sent to the rag cut room where clothes are put into a compressor that squeezes out half-ton cubes. Right. And these half-ton cubes, the way that that she describes it, it sounds like the warehouse in Indiana Jones. You know, when they put the Ark in that box and like, 
it pans back and there's just millions of boxes and that tiny little thing. But they put out 18 tons worth of clothing bales every three days, which blows my mind. How is it even possible that people are buying and consequently, subsequently, therefore thus, getting rid of that many clothes? It boggles the mind. Because Americans be shopping. We be shopping, yeah. And actually, your used clothes end up getting sold most of the time, not given away to help people. This is according to a December 2006 story on abcnews.com. Charitable organizations only keep about 10% of the donations, which is the best quality stuff, the stuff that's not torn or soiled, the vintage stuff, the designer label stuff. To sell to other Americans, other other people go into the thrift store or the consignment shop to buy the stuff. The remaining 90% is gets sold by the charitable institution to places like textile recycling firms for about five to seven cents per pound. Yeah, according to members of the Secondary Recycled Textiles Association, uh, the, their industry, the recycling, the textile recycling industry, buys up hundreds of millions of dollars worth of clothing every year. And then the recyclers will turn the clothing into cleaning cloths and uh, other industrial items so that they can reap a profit. Right. And you could think like, all right, well, so it's a little bit wasteful to keep buying so many clothes and then just ship them off to wherever. But, you know, with all this recycling, is it possibly helping the environment? Um, and the answer to that is, well, maybe a little bit, a little bit. I mean, you know, we're talking about textile recycling. Recycling is, you know, a good word, right? That's, right. that's what we want to, to do with our things. We don't want to just throw them away. Uh, but according to the Council for Textile Recycling, they estimate that 2.5 billion pounds of post-consumer textile waste is collected and prevented from directly entering the waste stream. 2.5 billion pounds. That's, that's a lot of pounds. That's a lot of pounds not ending up in the waste stream. But... Bad news, folks. That's only about 15% of all of those pencil skirts and jeans and vests and unfortunate sweaters right. that we're dumping off. So it has to go somewhere. Like there, there, It reaches a critical point, and it has to pop and go somewhere. So we've got all these clothes that sit in the thrift stores, but you know, like you said, they only stay there for a certain amount of time. Some of them end up recycled. Some of them end up as, you know, like industrial whatever, whatever. Where does the rest of it go? Well, it's shipped overseas, which isn't terribly surprising, but I was mind-boggled to learn that by one estimate, this is according to Elizabeth Klein in her book Overdressed, by one estimate, used clothing is the United States' number one export by volume, and most of it heads straight to sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah, that is pretty mind-boggling considering... I mean, considering I mean, you just think of industry, you think of manufacturing, you don't think of bales of clothing yeah. going to people, Gap t-shirts and whatnot. Um, Japan is actually the largest buyer in terms of dollars of vintage or American high-end fashion. That's according to a 2007 environmental health perspective study. And I I, I don't know, they're just like raiding our closets for, for vintage stuff. I, I guess it's hot over there. Well, and so much of the fashion also will end up in Africa, but the used clothing market has become increasingly demanding for higher quality and fashion-forward styles. They know the, the labels. Yeah, Western media has now infiltrated and you know they want to emulate the kinds of high-end brands and looks that we're wearing around. Right. 
Um, so, okay, all right. So we send a lot of clothes to Africa. A lot of clothes end up over there in their markets and such. Um, is this a bad thing? Are we, are we helping people by giving those less fortunate clothing to wear? Right, because it seems like, it seems like a good cause. A lot of charities focus around sending clothes specifically to Africa. But the thing that we might not realize is that while we might think that we are doing a good thing by donating and that it's okay that all of this used clothing is flooding African markets. It's actually undercutting and even destroying local textile markets in Africa. Right. This is coming from Mary Nana Amadonkwa in The Root uh, from 2009. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. She said that it's the whole old colonial mentality of ours is better than yours. Kind of a whole like hand-me-down from your older sister to your younger sister. And that while we may think we're helping, we're actually hurting a lot of people who have ended up losing their jobs in, in the local textile industries. She says that, for instance, in Kenya, used the used clothing industry is the country's seventh largest import. And in Malawi, Mozambique, and Uganda, large textile companies have ended up either going into bankruptcy or just closing altogether. Yeah, this isn't some kind of philosophical debate over the developed world infiltrating the developing world and ruining everything because 
America is terrible. But, I mean, it's things like if you look at, say, Zambia, where textile workers have staged strikes to promote awareness of them losing their jobs because of all this used clothing and all of the demand for it. And in Ghana, the government actually announced a program called National Friday Wear, which encourages all citizens to dress in traditional clothes as a way to honor their own local customs, but also reinvigorate textile trades there. Right. Neil Kearney, who was the general secretary of the International Textile Garment and Leather Workers Federation, told ABC News, basically he agrees with Donquo when he says that it is neocolonialism in its purest form. It's exporting poverty to Africa, a continent that is already exceedingly poor. And you definitely have to look at attitudes toward both the imported used clothing and the more traditional attire. Mm -hmm. Because, for instance, like younger people are more drawn, like we talked about with the media, younger people are more drawn to the Western clothes. And they're not just going toward any Western clothes. I mean, they want to go to the market and pick out the stuff that's, you know, on trend. Yeah, and these markets are actually referred to as bend-over markets because literally you go in there and bend down Mm -hmm. and sift through piles and piles of all of these clothes. And it's referred to often as dead white people's clothes because culturally they feel like only death could separate white people from such nice clothing. Yeah. In Togo, it's called dead Yovo clothing, dead white person clothing. In Ghana, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, uh, Brony Wawo, a white man has died. And so you have this sort of losing, this getting out of touch with the traditional attire, which is why, like in Ghana, they had that National Friday wear uh, event. But... um they point out that traditional clothes do have meaning. Like the same thing with, you know, Scottish tartan, you know, can symbolize your clan or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, many designs have names, contain stories, document events. They're even used as a part of dowry that a male suitor presents to the woman's family. And some are handed down from one generation to another. Yeah. And just to reiterate um, how all of this used clothing and it really it traces back to our consumer culture of mm-hmm. consuming cheap fashion that we don't necessarily need and discarding a lot of it um, to understand just how much this is having an effect on industry in Africa. A 2008 University of Toronto study found that used clothing exports uh, have explained about 40 percent of decline in apparel production in Africa and 50% of the decline in employment in that same industry from 1981 to 2000. Yeah. So that's a lot of clothes. Those are some staggering stats. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that back to that environmental health perspective study from 2007, I didn't, I guess I just always thought of goodwill as existing and people have always donated the same amount of clothes. But apparently since 2001, Goodwill Industries has seen a 67% increase in its sale of donated goods, most of it clothing. And that probably has something to do with like tax breaks. Well, and also the recession. I'm sure that yeah. people are shopping at thrift stores mm-hmm. possibly more often than they are. But also I'm, I'm one to shop for uh shop at thrift stores as well for clothes but i will tell you what like i have to confess that half the time i will buy up a bunch of stuff a lot of dresses and skirts and probably unfortunate vests (laughs) and because it's so cheap at the thrift store and you can find like interesting kitschy stuff but a lot of times like i'll end up re-donating most of what i get because it's that cheap 
fashion yeah even still one thing that i was thinking of this not, not entirely off topic but it just made me think of of buying things at a thrift store and then bringing them back but it seems like a good thing to do in this case since african markets are flooded you know Companies aren't taking as many items to recycle and create new items. I mean, maybe the best option is to just have clothing swaps with your friends. Yeah, yeah. I I really got thinking about that because I have, I mean, when I moved out of Augusta, I mean, I'd been there for four years. I lived in a two-bedroom apartment by myself. You accumulate some stuff. And I, I mean, I took sacks of stuff to Goodwill. And I just wonder, you know, if I had gotten people together and been like, okay, let's hang up all the clothes according to size and put all the the kitschy whatever items together and just like swap, just take things. I feel like that's less wasteful. Yeah. Maybe thinking about reusing before recycling. Yeah. Um, And it's great to get clothes from your friends because usually it's, you know, fun and well, it's free. Yeah. That's what what I'm. (laughs) And I managed to give my toaster and a desk to a friend of mine before I left Augusta. So see, I didn't have to take everything to Goodwill. Good for you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Just reflecting how much, uh, we not only are buying more and more and more, but the export of used clothing from the U.S. has nearly tripled between 1989 to 2003. And I have a feeling, that's according to the International Trade Commission, that the number has probably only gone up since then, too. Yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting, too. Slate, uh, the Elizabeth Klein excerpt in Slate pointed out that charities do see a ton of clothes donated with the tag still on. So we're buying all these clothes... And we're not actually using them, wearing them. We're just getting rid of them. And you know what, Caroline? We got to talk straight to the ladies right now. Uh Uh-oh. Women, we be shopping too much, okay? When it comes to who is buying up more clothes Mm -hmm. and who's donating more of these clothes, it is above and beyond women who are constantly cleaning out their closets. Right, yeah. Slate cited a 2010 Shop Smart survey that one in four American women own seven pairs of jeans. <clears throat> I, uh, I'm not going to say anything about that for my closet. Seven pairs of jeans, but wear only four regularly. And according to that environmental health perspective study, women in the West tend to buy much more clothing and discard it more often than men do. And the world's supply of used women's clothing is at least seven times that of men. Yeah. Because they just, they're like, I'm going to go to TJ Maxx and buy some socks. And you know, it's another unfortunate confession that I have to make. Not mm-hmm. only do I have those excess jeans sitting in yeah, so my, my, uh, bureau, mm-hmm. I've also got excess jeggings. <laughs> Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. It, it only gets worse. I, well, you know, I can't even tell you. Kristen and I are both sitting here in V-neck t-shirts. I have an excess of V-neck t-shirts in my closet, too. It's a little silly. Uh, yeah, just to hammer this home even more, we're going to beat you over the head with statistics, clothing statistics today. Environmental journalist Lucy Siegel, who wrote To Die For, is fashion wearing out the world? And then you can probably guess that the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, she found that the average woman buys about 62 pounds of clothing each year. Yeah. And and not only that, the the amount, the size of our closets has only grown. Um, mm-hmm. And the the number of items, clothing items that women have today is four times that a woman in 1980 did. Yeah, I have a huge closet. Do you ever go into old houses or old apartments and see teeny tiny closets? I'm like, how did these people live? I have an incredibly small closet and it is, but it's bursting at the seams. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> From all those jeggings. <laughs> Well, the uh, according to uh, the Clothing and Textiles Research Journal in 2009, they, they were trying to answer the question of why people donate. And we kind of touched on this before. Mm-hmm. You know, you think you're helping people or you just need to clean out your closet. They found that the primary motivation for participants used clothing donation behavior is the need to create space in the closet for something new. Not to help people necessarily. Not to get a tax break or whatever. But just to create space for more clothing. Well, and then there's the whole do-gooder aspect of it as well. Because a lot of times these are charities. And this is not us lambasting Goodwill or Salvation Army or thrift stores in general. Um, But because it is seen as a good thing to do. And hey, you're sending clothes over to Africa. Like, okay, that sounds like a good thing to do as well. And when ABC News interviewed people on the street who were donating clothes and said, hey, did you know that this is actually where your clothes go? They were like, well, I'm still I'm still going to donate. Like, what else do we do? Yeah, well, I mean, another option, I guess, and, and this would definitely be a question for our listeners, too, who might be involved in, in charities or, or uh, giving. I mean, Maybe there are other organizations more local, right? Too, you know, maybe like uh, women's shelters, um, homeless shelters. Oh yeah, homeless shelters. There's uh, in Marietta, where I'm from. There's a place called Must Ministries that doesn't actually charge people to buy things. You know, you can kind of just go in there and and shop if you don't have the means to pay. Yeah, and I was rooting around for any kinds of tips on responsible sustainable clothing donation. And there really wasn't anything out there aside from try to pass it off, put it in the hands of somebody else, get someone some more use out of it. But Mm -hmm. really, at the end of the day, it boils down to our consumer behavior and the way that the cheap fashion industry especially has blown up. And it's so easy to go and you buy a a new top for a little pick-me-up and it's only... Mm -hmm. $20 
you know, a few bucks really. And then when it gets about it, yeah. Well, when it gets a tear in it a month later, you're like, you don't feel guilty about either throwing it in the Goodwill pile or throwing it in the trash can. Because it doesn't cost us a lot, you know, but it's costing people elsewhere their livelihood. Yeah. So things to think about. And for this one, I really hope that we can hear from some listeners who might have some suggestions for things to do, creative ways and sustainable ways to donate your clothes. But really, we need to have a little more willpower when it comes to all our shopping. Exactly. We don't need to be shopping so much. Yeah. And well, I mean, this, we could go on and on about this topic. I mean, there are groups of women who've, you know, committed to not shopping for a year, mm-hmm. you know, not adding to their closets. There was some woman, God, I wish I could remember the specifics. Some woman profiled in a magazine. She was going to wear the same dress every day for a year and just style it differently. Well, and that's the thing too. It's also, we should probably change our approach to how we select clothes, mm-hmm. buying for quality that can last you for a long time yeah. rather than trendy, cheap, gonna fall apart pretty soon anyway kind of stuff. And that can be hard to remember, especially when the better quality stuff is more expensive. Right. You know, and you want to buy a soda pop also. <laughs> When you're at the mall, a sodi. Yeah, <laughs> how can you how can you buy a nice dress and a soda pop? We'll tackle <laughs> we'll tackle that burning question in another episode. But in the meantime, listeners, please write in. Let us know what you think. And anyone out there who might work for um, a charity associated with clothing donation, is this something that comes up? Uh, let us know all of your thoughts. MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is where you can email us if you'd like. And, of course, you can always head over to Facebook and leave us a comment there. And we've got a couple of listener emails, one of which starts out from a long-ago podcast about whether or not you can marry your cousin. Right. This is from Shelley. She said that she had just listened to that podcast and had avoided it for some time as I was a bit uncertain what to expect. I am the product of first cousin parents, as is my sister. Neither of us are sickly, nor do we have any genetic defects that I'm aware of. To be fair, most of my family line is fairly healthy. But I have had to endure entirely too much ridicule about being inbred by people who I believe could have benefited from more lessons in manners. Now, I generally tell people if it comes up, although I'm usually not one to raise the topic, that if they value me as a friend, they better not laugh. And if they are jerks, I will punch them in the face. So far, I've never had to do this. I'm glad that you took an objective look at the issue. I personally have no cousins I want to marry, plus I'm already married, but do not see it as particularly aberrant. It does make sense from an anthropological perspective, before the world of online dating and even before licensed matchmakers, to marry someone similar to you culturally. My parents did consult doctors about the genetic factors of having children, but so far, my sister and I seem as well-adjusted as can be expected in this economy. Well, I have one here from Wren, who is a self-professed manic pixie dream girl who loves flowers, kitties, and fuzzy pink sweaters, and does custom knitting and sewing, which sounds very fun. Uh, she writes, The first few times I saw MPDGs in movies and on TV, I was charmed and amused, and I got pretty used to friends calling me to tell me how much Natalie Portman or Zoe Deschanel's character reminded them of me. At first, it was flattering. Who wouldn't want people to equate them with such talented, lovely ladies? But I would love to be compared to these particular actresses for other reasons. How about Portman's amazing scientific CV or Deschanel's success as a musician? Over time, I've found that the stereotype has grown extremely stifling. 
MPDGs are so frequently portrayed as having such carefree, trouble-free lives that people have started to get baffled and recently even upset when I have troubles in my life. I'm expected to have no more urgent a crisis than the craft store not having the exact right fluffy, sparkly yarn or being stuck in another state without bus fare because I planned an excursion poorly. When I have real troubles with my family, my work life, my home life, or really anything serious, people act put out as if it were my responsibility to be always accessible and upbeat, ready to cheer them up or shake them out of their ruts. All in all, I don't think that the MPDG stereotype is harmful per se, but the fact that she is only ever shown as a carefree accessory to a male protagonist is leading to society making unfair judgments. Women who espouse similar views on life or who hold overlapping interests... Really, even when women who just like to be girly are being held to unrealistic expectations of behavior, more disturbing is that I think that as the trend progresses, women who don't have any genuine interest in certain hobbies or who don't want such a whimsical lifestyle are being drawn into falsely portraying themselves in such a manner to attract attention and accolades. There's nothing wrong with doing what you love, but I feel like it's extremely dangerous to society as a whole if any segment of the population is expected to fit such a mold. So thanks to Ren and everybody else who's written in. Momstuff at discovery.com is where you can email us. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. And you can read a blog post I did called How to Recycle Your Underwear, speaking of clothing donations, at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This episode is brought to you by Pedigree. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it is closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more about the adoption drive and to see full terms and conditions.